Hot Copy Podcast with your hosts, Kate Toon and Belinda Weaver. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be sharing the secrets of successful copywriters, including copywriting tips, shortcuts, writing resources, interviews and laughs, all focused on helping you become a better copywriter. Hi, I'm Kate Toon and this is my co-host Belinda Weaver. Hello there. Today we're going to be talking about how to sign up copywriting clients. Attracting clients is just half of the copywriting battle, but how do you turn a copywriting inquiry into a copywriting client? Today, Belinda and I will talk about different ways of onboarding potential clients, how to get them to complete your brief, sign off your proposal, and actually start work. started um, I'd say that I'm a very process driven copywriter and I think that comes from my background as a project manager back in the day or producer in agency life nothing really happens without client sign-off that's because generally you're working with huge budgets and you have lots of resources on any given project so you don't want to be doing any work you're not getting paid for because the hours will soon clock up and somebody will have to be accountable for that so as a project manager, I was always very anal about getting clients sign off for even the smallest of changes or new briefs or even if it was just like one banner ad, you know, I'd have to go through the whole brief proposal process. Um, now, some copywriters I know worry about scaring clients off with too much documentation, but it's my belief that if you don't get sign off right up front, you'll get into trouble later down the track. What do you think, Belinda? Yeah, I think this is exactly, well, this is one of the reasons why we get on so well. Two very process-driven nuts in a pod. Processes make me feel safe and I think they make customers feel safe too. So I think having a very strong process makes your job easier as a copywriter and it makes the customers feel better about working with you. I agree. I mean, a lot, we'll talk about this more as we go through, but a lot of people coming to you for copywriting will have never worked with a copywriter before. They may never have worked with any kind of supplier. So the more organized and process driven you are, the better they're going to feel about you and your business. So Belinda, when you were doing copywriting full time, how do you, how did you used to handle customer inquiries? Um, I always used to respond and I guess this is my advice for others always respond in the way that the inquiry came in so if I got a phone call I would call them back but if I got an email I would email them back and I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb most of my inquiries and I'm really quite grateful about this most of them came in via email so that's usually how I would respond but it's important to remember that some people prefer to talk and some people don't I don't particularly like calling people up or receiving phone calls, bit of a phone phobic, but I appreciate some people do prefer to get a phone call. So even if I would email someone, I would generally try and nudge myself into following up with a phone call as well. Because, you know, that real conversation you have with someone is a really powerful starting point to the relationship, especially in the online world. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in there and say that on my contact form, I actually specifically ask people how they want to be contacted. Do they want to get an email back from me, and do they want to get a phone call? Um, That's so, a great tip. Yeah. So, and often you know some people will put phone call, but I just don't have time. <laughs> so I'll send them an email, but I'll apologise at the start that I'm not 
calling them like I, you know, committed to doing, you know, so at least I'm acknowledging that. And I think that you've, you've hit the nail on the head, you know, I'd say that probably 90% of the um, client inquiries I get that I actually do speak to, I'll convert. Um, via email, it's a, you know, it's anyone's game, really, you know, email isn't half as powerful as just a 10 minute chat. So, you know, if you want to win customers, answer your phone. <laughs> So how do you use email templates and stuff? Because I know I used to find myself typing out the same email over and over and over again. Yeah, I think that was a big learning for me as well because I, I did the same. And, you know, the tendency, the worry there is that you're making typos or you're, you're saying the wrong thing. And, you know, you can spend ages writing these emails. So quite early on, I developed a sort of set of template emails to take me through from, you know, that initial inquiry all the way through to through writing the copy through draft through amends through invoice chasing to final draft and final sign off um, and you know those have been invaluable for me so much so that I actually decided to put them into a little package and start selling them over on the clever copywriting school site and they've been hugely popular I've had hundreds of downloads of those email templates and of course people will then go away and you know, make them their own, but, you know, just having them ready and just cutting and pasting and tweaking the top, tweaking the bottom saves me so much time, you know. We'll include a link to those um, templates in the show notes as well. Yeah, great. Um, but I think, you know, I'm like you. I don't like answering my phone. In fact, I don't answer my phone. I switch it off uh, for most of the day and then generally have like a half-hour period where I return calls or make calls Um my belief is that, you know, often people who email, I don't know, it's a hard one. I was going to say that people who email are sometimes more serious. Um, you know, they've taken the time to go through your site and fill out your form. Um, mm-hmm. And that people who call can often be tire kickers, but often it can be the other way around, you know. You know yeah, um, just as easily the other way around. Yeah, totally. But, you know, I see so many copywriters saying, oh, I don't want to put my phone number on my site because people will call me. And it's like, dude, why are you in business? You know, <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, you know, totally, if you don't want to be disturbed, don't you don't have to answer your phone, you know, every hour, every second of the day. But, you know, people will want to call you, so make it easier for them. Now, I'm in a unique, well, not unique, but um, you can't ever use that word. Uh, that's one of them. Don't use words because no one is unique. But uh, <laughs> I get an awful lot of inquiries. I probably get like upwards of 30 inquiries a week. So I, and I can't possibly do all of those. And, I, and I'm not really big on subcontracting um, for, for various reasons, which we'll talk about probably in a future podcast. So what I do is I try to make my sign-up process relatively difficult for the client. So I add more fields to my contact form. And as soon as they get in touch with me, I immediately send back one of those template emails saying, great, thanks a lot. Here's my briefing template. And here's, you know, roughly what I charge. And here's when I'm available. And if you're interested, fill out the brief and send it back to me. So I put the ball immediately back into their court. Um, And that, for me, tests whether they're serious or not. And it means that I only ever have to put proposals together or waste time. um, Sorry, not waste time. Invest time in people who've Mm. gone to the effort of filling out my brief and I find that really cuts out a lot of tire kickers because what I mean what we're talking about here is is something that you you start to think about the busy you get because I know when I started um, copyright matters I made myself extremely available and would invest a lot of time in every single inquiry I did very elaborate proposals which didn't actually change but for the people who 
who aren't really interested or they're just comparing prices, um, you, you just simply cannot spend that much time on every single inquiry. So I think exactly as you said, that the, the busier you become, the more elaborate you make um, the process of getting that inquiry out because you just cannot spend all your time on people who won't say yes. You learn to identify the people who will say yes a lot faster. That's exactly right, you know, and um, one of the things I've done to make that process faster is to put my pricing on my site, not for every single thing I do, and I make it very clear that the pricing is indicative, so I just have small uh, business website pricing, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not cheap, you know, so what that does is it means uh, that I can refer to that in that first email that I send out and say, hey, check my pricing, because, dude, there's no point going further if you're not happy with that. You know, uh, and again, you know, 50% of people just maybe won't want to pay that. So that gets rid of them straight away. But I haven't had to go to the trouble of putting together an invoice or or a quote. But I think we're kind of going to the other end, which is like when you're successful, you've got all these inquiries. On the flip side, if you've got hardly any inquiries, make your processes as easy as possible. You know, don't have 15 fields on your um, on your form. Maybe even have a callback so you can call people. You know, have have your pricing everything really down so that you can answer that question really quickly without making the client jump through lots of hoops. So mm. for the people who want want inquiries, make it as easy as possible. And I think some some people have. You know, the processes are too convoluted, you know, that you can get convoluted when you're successful. When you're starting out, keep it simple. Yeah. And I think a phone chat early on in the process, especially when you're trying to get an idea of scope, can really help build a relationship. I don't, I never actually had that briefing form for the scope. Um, what I would do is is chat to the client and get an idea. You know, I found I could put a proposal together based on, it's a 5, 10, 20-page website. It's an email marketing campaign. How long? You know, I would have that conversation with them over the phone because I often found people maybe didn't exactly know what it is they wanted and that conversation really helped draw that out. So that's another good tip is if it's if you don't have an idea of what they want, get on the phone with them. You know, that 5 or 10-minute chat can really help. Yeah, totally. I mean, I have um, a sort of simple two-page brief that I ask my clients to complete um, again, available to purchase from the Clever Copywriting School. Um, and, you know, again, for me, anyone who refuses to fill that out, it, it's a bit of a sign to me that they could be a potential Peter. Um, and Peter is one of our favorite acronyms, and it stands for uh, pain in the ass client. Um, you know, and as you progress through your copywriting journey, you'll get better and better at spotting Peter clients. Um, we maybe even do a podcast about that one day. Um, Belinda, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. And it's um, it's just because I think when you start out, you, you don't think you have the luxury of turning work away. But gradually, I think as you get more confident and you get more experience, you start to refine who it is that you want to work with and who it is you don't want to work with. So part of this whole onboarding process is not just making it an efficient process from a document point of view, um, but it's making sure you can identify the people who are going to make your life and your day and your writing a really fun experience. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's another reason why the phone call is is key because, you know, 
at, at the end of the day, once you've written a lot of copy, I don't necessarily get excited about the big brand jobs or any particular kind of job. I get excited when I find a client that I really click with and I enjoy talking to because it's quite an intimate relationship. So again, we'll just say it again, get on the phone. It's very important. <laughs> so so you mentioned there that you, you did most of your um, brief taking over the phone and then you did you have a copywriting brief at any point when 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 did you give them a brief to fill in yeah so what I did is I'd have get an idea of the scope and I would give them a proposal and that yeah. would be um I, my proposals were actually quite elaborate initially it was just a one-page document with price and not many people said yes and then I got this um advice from somewhere I can't remember that talked about you know your proposal document being the salesperson in the room when you're not there. So I used to have, you know, a cover letter and I used to introduce myself. I used to explain the service in a lot of detail to try and answer as many questions as I had, uh, I thought could be asked. And also by the time they actually got to the price, it looked like there was a lot of value being included. And then I also had testimonials and ways to contact me and case studies and all sorts of things. So I tried to make my proposal as less about the price as possible and then once I'd approved the proposal and I got my deposit I did the copywriting brief I didn't do anything without money in the bank yeah it's interesting I, I had a I've got a slightly different approach I too have a proposal but for me I guess mine's less about selling um, myself because um, I can't, most people have come through my website. So I'm kind of like, you know, if you want to see my testimonials and stuff, go there. Um, although if it was a big job, I probably would do exactly what you did and kind of include some in the prop, like credentials and, and things like that. But for say, like, you know, a five-page website job, someone's been through my site, they filled out my contact form. My proposal is much more about defining the scope um, you know, and, and like you, I used to just sort of provide a quote, um, but I honestly do think that that just looks a little bit amateurish. And as you said, it makes it all about the price. You know, someone says, I want a five page website. And you say, okay, it's going to be this much. And you don't explain, you know, your experience and what they're going to do and how many rounds of amends and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, it's like, oh, they don't know what they're comparing. Yeah, yeah exactly right. My proposal um, is all about, you know, scoping and clarity so what is and isn't included down to specific pages and word counts you know big difference in writing a 400 word page and a thousand word page should be very clear on that how many rounds of amends are included what happens if the client goes over those rounds of amends because that happens you know whether you're going to have it proofread you know some people don't include proofreading um i always get my copy proofread by an external proofreader partially because i can't spell and uh also because i know that i've got that peace of mind of knowing that the copy i've sent out is spot on yeah me um, too absolutely i, I yeah. can't proofread my own work for toffee of course you can. it's impossible you know you, you you read words that aren't there you fill in gaps you add words it's just impossible because you know what you wanted to say so that's another really important tip i also include timings and um, you know when can i start and how long it's roughly going to take i include costings obviously telling them whether it's going to be gst inclusive or not i've got my terms and conditions which are very detailed um and details of the deposit. So I always ask for a 50% deposit. And then after they've filled out that proposal, I ask them to sign it in blood. No, I'm joking, just in pen. <laughs> uh, scan it and return it. Um, and then only then, and only when I've got my deposit in the bank, will I start doing anything. So yeah, mm. yeah. 
I think I think the proposal document, like whether you focus on on your credentials um, or the scope or both, I think it should just answer all the questions that could possibly come up because, you know, assume that they're not going to jump on the phone and go, oh, I have some follow-up questions. Assume they're going to make a decision without talking to you again. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. You know, often it's, whether if it's a small business, maybe the person you're talking to will check in with their partner or, um, you know, their, their wife or their husband. If it's a larger business, maybe they've got a group of shareholders that need to look at something. So, you know, as you said, I love that line about, you know, this being your, your sales representative in the room when you're not there. So I think that's, that's great. Just touching on something, I just wanted to check again. Did you ask for a deposit when you were a, um, a copywriter? Yeah, I asked for 30%, but I think 50% is a much better figure because um, – Thirty percent is a bit of you know is a toe in the water skin in the game, but if the project goes belly up, um, it cannot be nearly enough to cover the time that you spend because often you know you you can spend eighty percent of your time on a project handing that first draft over. Yes, and if it doesn't exactly. work out, I think fifty percent is a is a much better figure. Yeah, I agree because I think what, what you're doing with a deposit is A, you're saying you're a professional business and you need your cash flow to flow um, and, you know, you're, you're sharing the trust, you're sharing the risk. They're trusting you with the first 50% that you're going to do the job and you're trusting them with the final 50% that they're going to pay you at the end of the job. So it's a 50-50 risk share and, and the truth is, again, anybody who refuses to pay a deposit, um, it's might be a bit of a pain in the bottom. You know, if you're, if you're not happy to pay the deposit up front, how are they going to be about paying your final invoice? And it can be yeah. so tempting to start the work because you just want to do the job, because you want to get the money in to start without a deposit. But every time I've done that, and believe me, I've done it even in recent years because it's been a really sexy job that I wanted to do for like a big brand, every time it's ended up biting me on the bum um, in terms of getting the, getting the money out of the client. You know, if they really like want you they will pay the deposit. And if they don't, they won't, they can go elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that's a good point on the general process. Every time I've stopped following my process and I've broken a rule for one reason or another, it hasn't worked out well. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I kick myself. I, yeah, I did it. I did it like about six months ago. I got a recommendation for a client from a friend. Um, and so I kind of sort of went, oh, you know, you know, they're their client, they're probably cool. So I didn't do a proposal. And I did get a deposit, but I didn't do a proposal. And it was for a LinkedIn profile rewrite, which is I don't particularly like doing anyway, to be honest. Um, and, you know, as it transpired, the client didn't really actually know what they wanted to say. You know, it wasn't really a LinkedIn profile they were after. They wanted a brand positioning statement. They wanted to redefine right. their business. And it was just getting bigger and bigger. But because I didn't have a prop, I didn't have how many amends they were going to get. I didn't have any kind of scope to fall back on and go, hey, this is out of scope. Uh, you're pushing me too far, you know. And yeah. so I had to I had to wear it. I had to do it. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah, it's a pain. The only, the only instance, I think, when people refuse to pay deposits often is if you're working with an agency or a government um, uh, body. So agencies yeah. often have 30-day payment terms and governments sometimes even have 60-day payment terms. So, you know, think about that. Think about whether you can survive the job, you know. If it's a giant job and you're not going to get paid for 60 days until you finish, then I think that could screw you, you know, especially with some of these bigger jobs. They have to go through a lot of approvals. So your timeline for completing the job could be like two or three months 
It's a long time to go without money. And while you're doing that job, you've missed out on lots of other jobs, potentially, that you could have got paid for straight away. Mm. Now, I want to um, just uh, link back to something you said. It was about getting uh, things signed and approved because what would, you know, we talked about getting things in writing. Always get it in writing. Always. <laughs> but you mentioned you used to, you get people to sign your proposal. Do you use any like e-sign packages or is it just, you know, you physically sign it and scan it and email it back? Yeah, I just do the physically sign it and scan it partially because I just can't bear to sign up for yet another subscription to some <laughs> other That's so software. True. You know what I mean? I do use um, Zero, which I think we're going to talk about in, in a little bit. But yeah, for, you know, good old fashioned sign it, even if you just get people to take a photograph of it on their iPhone and send it through. It's not, it's not the getting it back that matters. It's not really because at the end of the day, if it really came to it, and, you know, you had to prove something in court or whatever, take them to court. You know, you'd have to really weigh up about how much money um, you wanted to, how much the money was worth to you. You know what I mean? Mm. For me, it's not so much about, it's the discipline of having signed on the dotted line, you know? So whether they do that by hand, whether they scan it and send it in, whether they post it to me, I don't really mind. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's something about writing your name on something, which I think is more effective than doing it electronically. If you physically sign with your hand, I think you really are committing to it. That's, yeah, that's just my, a really interesting My um, old point, school yeah. attitude. I'm very digital, but not when it comes to signatures. I don't no, know. I it's think just... that's a really wonderful <laughs> point about signing your name. That is incredibly powerful. Okay, so, so far on our onboarding client chat, we've talked about how to deal with that first uh, customer inquiry, whether you're gonna email them, call them, use the template, all that kind of thing. We've talked about proposals and how you're gonna use those either to um, you know, display your credentials and, and your testimonials or to scope out the job or both. I think they can do both. Um, and we've talked about deposits, how it's important to get a deposit, 50% ideally, and you know, how to be wary of people who are funny about paying a deposit because it may end up being tricky later down the track. Now, obviously, if you're going to ask for a deposit, you're going to need to send an invoice. And um, again, Belinda, I'm always interested to know how you did things. When you were a copywriter, did you used to put together your own little Word document invoices or did you use some accountancy software? When I first started out and I looked at the subscription prices for accounting packages with a little bit of horror, I used to do it just in Word and I tracked the invoices um, in an Excel spreadsheet and that was fine. It was a time overhead when it came to taxes so I really had to stay on top of my record keeping um, but as soon as I could afford it, as soon as I had enough cash flow, I signed up to zero because I think it's... Um, it's more professional and it's just a lot easier to manage all your bookkeeping at tax time. Yeah, I'm the same. So I did exactly the same, you know, Word, Excel and the horrible sheet full of receipts. And oh, it, was, it was a nightmare, you know, and I, I was always worried I'd miss something or anyway. And so I've moved to zero. And yeah, I think I've got two accounts because I have my husband's business as well. I think I pay about $70 a month, which to me is just nothing compared to the horror of filling out that blooming spreadsheet every day. Well, just and, one account was, I think it's $49. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I use... Um, um, you know, as you said, you know, you can keep track of all your receipts and you can do little cash flow reports. It takes some while, while to get used to, but obviously also you can email out invoices directly from the system and it will keep track of who's paid, who hasn't paid, and you can just send the email out again. And um, yeah, you know, it's great for, 
for the end of year tax and bookkeeping. So once you're on quarterly baths and you're paying GST and all that kind of stuff, you will thank your lucky stars that you're on zero. Obviously mm. not worth it if you're only sending a couple of invoices a month, but you know, as soon as you get above like five or maybe 10, I think it's definitely worth the investment. Um, and there are, there are a few others, like there's QuickBooks and Myob and, and stuff like that. And we'll include links to all of these in the show notes. Um, so it's worth looking around, but I know I find zero incredibly easy to use. I'm not one for reading lots of, you know, help files and stuff. So I just started uh, clicking around and I found it really easy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, totally. And uh, talking of software, I was just saying how I don't like paying for software subscriptions because I have so many. In fact, I just went on a giant cull and got rid of quite a few. For one that I love, and you know, this is still kind of part of the onboarding thing, so I thought I would mention it, is um, Basecamp. Um, and, and there are a lot of, again, we'll probably do a podcast on project management at some point, so there are a lot of other sort of project management task-based softwares um, that we could mention, but we won't do that now. I'm just going to talk about Basecamp because in my process of onboarding, as soon as I've got that signed proposal and that paid invoice, I put the client straight into Basecamp. And in Basecamp, I have all my timings. I have a copy of the invoice that they've just paid, a copy of the proposal that they've signed, their brief, all the assets in one one place. Um, and Basecamp can take a little bit of getting your head around. But again, I think it really impresses the clients. It's what Belinda talked about in the beginning of this podcast, the client just feels like they're in safe hands. Look, she's got software. Look how organized she is. It's all together. Yeah. Wow. You know, and and it takes minutes to have it all set up because you just have templated projects and stuff, but it really leaves a good impression uh, with the client. Yeah, I actually, I don't, I didn't use Basecamp as a project management tool, but I did, um, I still use Capsule CRM, so a customer relationship manager. And it's just about recording the details of your clients, their contact details, because if projects go south, you need to be able to get in contact with them. You know, it's about recording when you last talked to them, what you talked about, because there's nothing worse than about to contact a client and going, oh, did, what did we, what did we decide? Was that, where is that thing? So, you know, you need to think about having a place where you can record all the rel- relevant and pertinent information about a project for a client, whether you use something like Basecamp or whether you use Capsule CR- CRM. Recording all the details of a project is really important. It will take a lot of weight off your poor memory. I love that. You know, I've never heard of Capsule. I've been looking for a CRM thing because for me, oh, it's, it's, you know, I've had so many clients and some of them have got very similar names and some of the projects have. And I had a horrible experience the other day where a client called back up and she's all chatty and, and I completely thought she was a completely different client. I just, <laughs> I'd just forgotten the name and whatever. And also, it's sound, this sounds really horrid, but it's really important and it's a sales tool. You know, remembering a few little things about your client you know, and having somewhere to record them. So, you know, if they mention on the phone that they love cats or that they've got you know, a child that's five or whatever, you know, it's yeah. nice to be able to, it's not, it's, it's not insincere because I wish I could remember all of that kind of stuff. I just don't have that kind of brain. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about Capsule, I find, is that it integrates with your email. It integrates with MailChimp and other um, tools like that. It integrates with Zero. So when, you know, an invoice oh is paid. Goodness. Yeah, it's super. So let's talk about this after the podcast. But, you yeah, know, it's amazing that the tools that are out there that can make your job so much easier. Totally. And it's just about finding them, isn't it? So I've just found the new one. So um, next we're going to talk about, well, what's next? The job begins, I guess. 
Yeah, I think this is once, you know, they've paid the deposit and you've recorded their details, then it starts, you know, it's time to get into the nitty gritty. And this is when I would do my proper copywriting brief. And it was extremely detailed. And what I used to do was, and I'd be interested to hear your process around this, um, I used to send the form to clients and ask them to fill it out. But my expectations of what they would send back were never very high. So, because, um, you know, they're big, we're asking big questions as copywriters. What's your brand personality? How are you unique? How do you solve your customers' problems in a meaningful way? They're big questions. And so I always used to talk it through with them on the phone because I always find that when you get people talking about themselves and their business, really good stuff comes out. But if you ask them, I mean, the reason they're hiring a copywriter is because they find it difficult to write stuff down in in a way. So, you know, expecting them to do a really awesome written brief is a bit counterproductive. Yeah, totally. I don't, if you've ever actually tried to fill in your own brief about your own business, which I tried to do once, I'm like, I couldn't answer some of my own questions. So I, I, totally, <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah, so what I'll do is, as I said, my great brief comes um, earlier in the process, so I get to fill in this. It's quite short and sweet. But yeah, once they've signed on the dotted line, I'll schedule an hour-long chat where I'll, you know, I'll have read through their brief. For me, a great starting point is competitors because I think that really shows a measure of where they want to be, who they are, who they like. So I'll spend a lot of time looking at their competitors' websites so I'm prepped for the call. And then when I get on the call, I can say things like, you know, you said that your target audience was blah, 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 but why have you got this on your homepage? Because that's got nothing to do. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, maybe they are my target audience. And that chat is super, super valuable. Because um, as you said, you know, if they knew the answers to all that questions, they'd be all right in the copy themselves. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. So I think we're I think we're there. I think we've onboarded our clients. Um, so to sum up the process that uh, Belinda and I both go through, slightly different ways, but essentially the same. We take the inquiry and we respond to them in kind. So email for email, phone for phone. Um, we use templates to reply to those uh, clients if we can, but obviously making them nice and tailored. Um, we get the client brief of some description, whether that's over the phone or on paper. We create a proposal um, as detailed as we need it to be, uh, but we don't just send a straightforward invoice or price. We secure a deposit and we make sure that's in the bank before we start the project. And then after that, yeah, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> so look, here are our five top tips for signing up clients easily and efficiently every time. I'm going to go first and I'm going to mm-hmm. say that it's very important to have a clearly defined onboarding process with emails to match and documentation to match. And it's important to take time out, maybe after this podcast, to write down what your onboarding process is and if there are any gaps that you can find. Mm. Uh, my tip would be to make sure you explain the process that you've just defined to potential clients so they can see the structure ahead of them. Having some certainty around the process will help you convert more clients. But you also have to make sure that this process you're developing um, will help you weed out customers that you want to work with and that you don't want to work with. You want to spend as little as time, uh, a little time as possible with clients that you don't want to work with. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, the process isn't just about making the customer feel safe. It's about making you feel safe. Um, Mm -hmm. So tip number three, if you're a newbie 
a newbie copywriter and you need inquiries, answer your phone. You may not be the best person on phone. I'm sorry, there's, there's just no two ways about it. You have to pick up the phone, you have to talk to people because I know that lots of people will call me and because I'm very busy and because I you know, don't necessarily need the work today, they won't get through to me and then they'll call somebody else. So you could be getting people who've tried Belinda and I and all the big guys and now, you know, they're getting really fed up that no one's answering their phone and that could be your point of difference. So answer your phone. <laughs> I can't say that enough. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt and wear it around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my, my last tip, which is tip number four, is to um, make sure you make time to answer your client's questions because, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, they may never have worked with a copywriter before. It may be all very new to them. It's not new to you, but never assume that people know what happens next or how it all works. Great. And our final tip, I think, which we've said many times, so let's just say it one more time, always, always, always get a deposit. Always. Always get that deposit. So there you go. That's a brief overview of how to sign up clients easily and efficiently. What did you think? You'll find links to all the assets mentioned today, along with a full transcript on our website, hotcopypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Your review will help others find us. You can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode. Until next time, happy writing. Clever little sausage. Oh, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> well, we live and we learn. <laughs> <laughs>